Good morning. We are certainly appreciative of your presence today. We have a number of folks that are out of town this weekend, and we pray that they will have a safe trip back home. We're very grateful that you're here today, and we hope and pray that our time together will be beneficial and uplifting to you as we engage in this hour of worship. We are going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the passage read a moment ago. And we uh, want to think for a minute or two about the theme, the infiltration of the world. We live in the world. That's a fact. The question, however, is this. Does the world live in us? Listen again to what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Since we live in the world, how then do we keep the world at bay and live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God? Let's think for a few minutes about what John has written. I want to begin by first and foremost talking about the danger of the world. And John, in a very effective way, tells us that we are not to love the world, that is, the system of the world. And so what about the danger of the world? Let me just suggest to you some principles that relate to the world. First, I would suggest to you that the world has her prince. Jesus identified him in John chapter 12, verse 31, as the prince or the ruler of this world. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 identifies him as the prince of the power of the air. We know him as the devil. He is identified by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as the God of this world, the God of this age. And he welds tremendous power. And when you think about the prince of the world, the fact that the world has her prince, I would submit to you today that he is deceptive and he is destructive. Deceptive because his intent is to bait and to circumvent the faith of those of us who belong to God. You remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, John identifies the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said that we are to be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. He would say, put on the whole armor of God, and the reason is that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. He is, as we would say, a schemer and a scammer. We know what scammers are, don't we? Many times scammers are trying to beat us out of what we possess. 
What the devil is trying to do is beat us out of our faith. And so he is deceptive, yes. But not just deceptive, but also destructive. Wherever the devil goes, he always leaves a wake of destruction in his path. When we go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, and you think about the devil tempting Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that as a result of eating that forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, sin made its interest into the world. And what are the byproducts of sin? Death. Spiritual death, yes, but also physical death. And so you look at the mayhem and the hurt that the devil has inflicted upon the human family. And really it would be difficult for us to put into human vernacular the destruction that the devil has caused the human family. I mean, look at the pain and the agony, the tears and the suffering and the trials and the tribulations and the tears or temptations that mankind has felt down through the years. And we can lay it all at the feet of one person, that is the devil. And so... The world has her prince, but the world also has her philosophy. The philosophy of the world is steeped in two realms. First, I would submit to you in the realm of humanism. Again, you go back to the Garden of Eden. You remember when the serpent began that discourse with, that conversation with Eve, asking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she told him that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. And yet the devil said, don't you know that if you eat of this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil? This humanistic philosophy that says you're the God of your own life, you're the captain of your own ship, you live as you want, live as you please, it's up to you, it's in your hands. Now, I I would freely grant that we have the ability to make choices in life. God granted us that ability. But what the devil wants you to do is to think that you don't need God to govern and rule your life. You're quite capable of doing that on your own. So you just be the God of your own life. Just map out your own destiny. And then, not only this philosophy of humanism, but also hedonism. Pleasure at all cost. Do you remember in Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Athens? The Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And the Bible tells us that Paul debated the philosophers in that great ancient intellectual city. There were those who were identified as Epicureans. And they followed a teacher by the name of Epicurus. And what he taught was that in life you need to maximize pleasure to the minimization of pain. Look, I don't have a problem with trying to avoid pain in life, nor do you. But there are some that would say pleasure at all costs, at any cost. It's all about gratification, satisfaction in life. And so whatever makes you happy, whatever you want to do, whatever would would somehow bring you instant gratification and joy in life, then just do it. And you think about how many people have been 
as we would say, indoctrinated with that kind of thinking. And again, there's nothing wrong with pleasure, satisfaction, contentment. As a matter of fact, that's what we want in life. But not to the exclusion of living and serving God. Living for and serving God. So I think about the world. The world has her prince. The world has her philosophy. The world also has her people, doesn't she? What do we mean when when we say the world has her people. Well, people in the world, by and large, are antagonistic to the people of God. Their attitude, in many respects, is adversarial, isn't it? Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 7? Jesus said, the world cannot hate you. But he said, it hates me. And he said, the reason the world hates me is because I testify of it, that its works are evil. Jesus would say in John chapter 3 that light has come into, into the world, and Jesus identified himself as the light of the world. But he said, light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. There's this natural affinity for the dark side. And what Jesus is saying is that in the world, the people of the world, they are antagonistic to my teaching, to my ways, to my will, to my word. And tell me that's not so today. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me that in many respects, the world as we know it, as a matter of fact, America as we know it, in some quarters has become hostile to Christianity, that we have become the whipping post of the media and of Hollywood. I mean, you think about the teaching of Jesus and the will of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It's no wonder Jesus said, look, the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. It's no wonder Jesus would say, light has come into the world. And light and darkness cannot coexist. And so he said, men love darkness rather than light. So first, the danger of the world. But then secondly, there is a description of the world. Listen now to what John writes again. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, in verse 16, what John is going to do is talk about the charm of the world. And here it is. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The flesh, that's the appeal to what we feel. Isn't it the case that the devil appeals to those of us in the world, in the human family, through the flesh? Do you remember Peter said to abstain from fleshly lust? Why, Peter? Because they war against the soul. There is this war that's going on between the flesh, and the spirit. 
And so you think about how as Christians we're involved in this conflict. And so what what John is saying is there is an appeal to what we feel. That's the lust of the flesh. But then he talks about the lust of the eyes. That's what we see. Isn't it the case that the devil appeals to us visually? Do you remember Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about those who have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin? The devil is a master at baiting people through the flesh, the lust of the flesh, through the lust of the eyes. He can make things, so, make things look so appealing and so attractive that sometimes we yield, we give in. Because it looks good, sounds good, and so we buy in. And then there's a third principle that he uses. The pride of life. That's how we think, isn't it? Isn't that what the devil did in the garden? He appealed to Eve on the basis of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, but the pride of life. Look, you'll be as God. Do you remember what Solomon said many years ago? Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride can be destructive in life. And there are some folks in the world today, they've been duped into thinking that it's their way or the highway. They don't have to submit to anyone or anything. They they don't have to subjugate their lives to the will of the Lord because after all, they know everything. You know, Solomon said, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So you think about the charm of the world. But then there is a second thing that we want to think about for a moment, and that has to do with conforming to the world. Two things here. The devil, number one, the devil wants to mold us. In other words, he wants to pour us into his mold. Do you remember in Romans chapter 12 when Paul said, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? The idea is do not allow the world to pour you into its mold. Don't allow the world to shape and to mold your thinking and your actions. Don't let the world govern your life. And yet that's exactly what the devil wants to do, isn't he? Now, contrast what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12. When he said, be not conformed to the world with what he said over in Romans chapter 8. When Paul said that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Aren't we to be Christ-like? The song we sang a moment ago, Oh, to be like thee. I mean, aren't we trying to be like Jesus? But the world wants us to behave like the world. That's what the devil wants us to do. To allow the world to shape and to mold our thinking, our, our thought process. He wants to govern what we think, how we act, what we do what we dress like, how we talk, etc. He wants to mold us. And yet, Paul said, look, we are to be conformed 
into the image of His Son. That's the ideal, isn't it? Peter said that we are to follow in His steps. That Jesus left us an example, a pattern, that we're to be like Him. So what the devil wants to do is, number one, mold us, and then number two, hold us. If he can mold your thinking and the way you live your life, let me tell you what, he will get a foothold in your life. He will imprison you. Now think about what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He talks about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Well, how does that happen? How does it happen to a child of God? First, there is this molding process, and then there is the holding of the child of God. He's imprisoned, a child of God. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, that those who serve sin are literally the bondservants of sin? They're a slave to that way of life? That's what, that's what we're talking about. And yet Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place or opportunity to the devil. What he's saying is this, don't let the devil get a foothold in your life. If the devil can get a foot in the door, guess what? He's coming in. That's all he's saying. So we've been, we have been warned to, to not allow him entrance into our lives. And what John is saying is, look, stay away from the world. Don't let the world mold and shape you. Don't let the world mold you because once the world molds you, it'll hold you. And let me tell you what, once you get in the world, man, it can become so difficult to get out. Talk to people. Talk to people who are enslaved to a worldly, a worldly way of life. And there is this battle going on. And many times the world ends up winning. And so, secondly, the description of the world. But then there's a third thing. And it has to do with the destiny of the world. Now listen again to what John said. Note verse 17. The world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There are two things that John is saying here. Number one, the world is fleeting. We would say it this way. The world is temporary. It's transitory. We are literally here today, gone tomorrow. And you think about the world. That's the world, isn't it? That's what, isn't that what John's saying? The world passes away. When it's all said and done, when the smoke clears, let me tell you what, the world will not win. And those who have hooked their wagon to the world, what John is saying is, you are hooking your wagon to something that will not stand the test of time. It's passing away. It is temporary at best. How much time do you have left in life? Ever thought about that? Last night, Geraldine and I were talking on the way back from Searcy, Arkansas. And I was telling her about a conversation that I had with Barry Ray. Barry said that he told his college class, he said, I'm 50 years old. And he said, if I live to be 70, that means that I have 20 more Christmases. 
20 more vacations, 20 more years to work, etc. How much time do you have left? You're not going to be here forever. Do you remember what James said? We're like a vapor. We appear for a little while and then what? We vanish away. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. What, what John is saying is, life as we know it is transitory. It is temporary. That's why Paul said, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, are temporary. They are transitory. Here today, gone tomorrow. So number one, the world is fleeting. But number two, the world is futile. And here's what I mean by that. When it's all said and done, there is really no long-term satisfaction in the world, is there? No long-term satisfaction, really no long-term security. Do you remember in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus told the parable of the rich farmer whose barns were bulging? And he said, you know what, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And he said, there I'll bestow all of my crops and my goods and I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And yet, Jesus said, you forgot something. You forgot about your soul because tonight you're going to die. And all the things that you've accumulated, whose are they going to be? Are there not people in our world today, in their heart of hearts, in their mind, they think, you know what? The things of the world, that's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to give me satisfaction. That's what's going to give me security in life. You remember in the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon talked about in chapter 2 and about verse 11, he talked about all the works of his hands and all the labor in which he had toiled. He said, all was vanity and grasping after wind. The bottom line is, can't take it with us, can we? And really when it's all said and done, sometimes we think that those things will fill that void or vacuum in life. And what, what Solomon is saying is, it doesn't work. The devil says, it'll make you happy. It'll give you satisfaction. It'll give you security in life. And what Solomon is saying is, I tried it. I did it. And it didn't give me happiness. It didn't give me satisfaction. He said, but I can tell you what will. Fear God and keep His commandments. He said, because that's man's all. That's what life's all about. So what John is saying is, look, don't hook your wagon to the world. Because when it's all said and done, the world is passing away. And all that accompanies the world, all the lust of the world, they'll pass with it. Do you remember what Jesus asked on one occasion? What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? How valuable is your soul? Your soul is worth more than all the world has to offer. 
If somehow you could trade your soul for everything the world has to offer, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 16 is, you're going to make a terrible transaction. You're going to come up on the losing end of that transaction. So what John is saying is, look, do not love the world. Buy into what God has to offer. What we want to do is to live in the world but not allow the world to live in us. If you're here today, today and you're not a Christian, we want to appeal to you to become a Christian. What would you need to do? It's very simple. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. And then repent. Turn from a life of sin, confess His name, and be buried with Him in baptism. Why you need to be baptized? Because when you're baptized into Christ, you contact the blood of Christ, Ephesians 1.7. When you're baptized into Christ, you're added to the body of Christ, Acts 2.47. And you need to be in the body of Christ because that's the body that God has promised to save, Ephesians 5.23. If you're here today and maybe you've gone back into the world, you're a Christian you're living in the world, but the world's also living in you. There's hope. You come home. Let me tell you what. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today, right now, as we stand and sing.